Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. As we continue in our series, Ghost Stories, we will be in conversation about the presence of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit ministers into our lives. Let's listen in. Pastor Steve was able to tell me that um, I get the privilege of being the uh, guest speaker that has come the most to Motion City Church. So, you know, I always love records, and so that, that, that's a record actually I like. I'll, I'll, I'll keep trying to make sure, don't let anybody get close, or keep having me back when somebody gets close. And um, all the previous times before, um, I've come uh, in a different role. Recently, I've just uh, transitioned to um, a new role. I work with an organization called One Child Matters. One Child Matters, formerly Mission of Mercy, began almost 50 years ago by uh, two missionaries by the name of Mark and Hulda Buntain in Calcutta, India, where they had a heart for the children that they saw on the streets and uh, uh, the children that they uh, saw in that city that were oppressed by poverty, that uh, their future wasn't bright at all. They never were able to look towards the future. Eventually, that organization um, has expanded. Uh, Mark Buntain passed away in 1987. Um, later on, uh, the, or the ministry expanded out of India into now 15 different countries around the world into a child sponsorship program that helps children um, who are at risk, who are in poverty, who are in desperate situations. They... Uh, rescue children out of uh, human trafficking. They uh, give children who have no hope that what they see as their future is being part of a gang and in a drug and crime-filled life. Children who are so overwhelmed by poverty that they don't have a warm meal. They're, they live in one-room shacks or uh, with their entire family and uh, really don't have a future. And what One Child Matters does is they come in and they give those children a future by, first of all, providing for their physical well-being. They give them medical care. They provide uh, food. They provide uh, health uh, instructions so that they can eat better and so for nutrition and, and their well-being. They also come in and they provide a social atmosphere to where uh, they meet other children and they meet adults who will mentor and care for them. They provide for their education. They help tutor them, or they are schools that uh, teach them. And then they also provide the gospel. And they present a future. And there's young men and young women, just like Lionel, who didn't have a future, who couldn't think beyond what was right there in front of them, who all of a sudden could now see that God had a purpose for their lives. Now, recently, I just returned from Honduras. I flew back, uh, it was actually Thursday night. This last week I spent uh, the week in Tegucigalpa, uh, Honduras, visiting a number of our projects. Um, so here's uh, a couple of our projects that I was at. Next page, you can see uh, a picture of me with, the next picture, you can see a picture of me with some of those children uh, there. And this particular project was one of the first projects we uh, visited. And there we talked to a young boy. And this young boy, uh, through our interpreter, Eva, she is not in the picture there, but through our interpreter, uh, we sat down with this young boy, and he's telling us his story. He is a teenager now. 
And he said when he first started coming to the project, to the One Child Matters project, that he didn't know how to read. His family um, was in poverty, only had a, a mother, he had siblings. And what he would do is he learned to read, and he was able to get his one hot meal a day at the project. And he went back home, and he actually began to teach his mother and his siblings to read. And so not only did the One Child Matters Project change his life, it began to change his family's life. From that, from his mother being able to read, his mother got a job that was able to begin to provide meals and homes. And eventually, the mother begins to donate her time, and she, we met her, begins helping tutor children in the project. And the neatest connection is the fact that each of these projects are connected to a local church. And as they're sitting here, we're sitting with this young man, we're sitting with his mother, we're also sitting with their pastor, who is now part of that connection and part of that family. And this young boy whose future, when, they, when asked, saying, what, when he first got there, what's your future, was, I'm going to be part of this gang. Now is, I'm going to be a pastor. And that's the story of One Child Matters. And so what I get to do now is not only do I get to travel to uh, see these projects and be able to hear these stories, but I get to tell those stories to people like you and churches like you. And to encourage people to join us in reaching children one child at a time. So we, do, we are a child sponsorship program. Um, and what we do is it's really a small cost. $39 a month you can sponsor a child to make a difference in their lives. And I was there this week, and I saw the difference a sponsor had when we went into a few of the homes of the children. Um, in some of the villages, we went into their homes. And they're, again, one room. They're mostly filled with a bed and then all their worldly belongings, and that's it. They cook outside, and as we walk in, one of the prominent things in every home that we visited was a picture of their sponsor or their sponsor's family. And they said, we love them. They actually, they don't call them sponsors. They call them their godparents because it's God's love that has been shown to them and through them. And so we have the opportunity, we give the opportunity to people to walk alongside a child and make a difference, to be able to make a difference in their lives. And so what I get to do is encourage people to do that. So what I'd like to, to do this morning, first of all, I'd let our ushers have a few um, children. No, not the actual children. They have the profiles with them. Um, and I've got them, and what I want you to do is if, at this point, if you're like going, you know what, that might be something that I'd be interested in doing, what I'd like you to do is raise your hand. You don't have to commit right now, but it's something like going, I, I, I'd like to hear further, but I'd like some information. Um, and the ushers are going to give you a profile. Now, if it, by the end of this time, you can start handing them out, just, just handing them out, um, and, and it's random, and you, you can... Uh, look at that child, and within that child, you're going to be able to see a couple things. First of all, it's going to have a picture of the child, their birth date, what country they're from, uh, their age. Um, inside, there's a little, the first page, there's a little profile about that child that the child themselves have, has written along with their, their tutor probably helped them. Some information probably about the country, and then uh, in there is kind of the steps that need to happen. First of all, there is a sponsorship form that if you're interested in taking that next step and say, I would like to sponsor a child. You can fill out that form today. I can take it, and uh, you will begin to get information. Information will be mailed to you um, 
again, $39 a month isn't that much. It averages out to about $1.30 a day. That's less than a cup of coffee a day. You can make an eternal difference in, in, in the life of a child. And I'm not asking for your church money. That's not, I don't want your offering and tithe. Um, don't want the money that you would give here at Motion City at all. What I am asking for is your Starbucks money, your McDonald's money, um, money that you can, you can, you can make a, just a little bit of a, a, a sacrifice, say, I can make a difference in the lives of the child. And you can fill that information out, and at the end of the service, you, I'll be in the back at uh, the table I have set back there, and you can give me the, that sponsorship form, and then you can take that picture of that child and that profile home with you. You will receive information in the mail. You will eventually receive how you can write that child a letter, send your picture. That child will respond to you um, also, and that's one of the cool things about it is you get to develop that relationship, and you get to see them grow. We were uh, actually, we had some sponsors with us on this trip, and they were actually able to meet their sponsored child on this trip. And one of them was showing me the pictures that they had of the child. They began to sponsor that child five years ago. And they started showing the pictures and the differences in that child uh, today. And today, the girl that they they sponsored that I've seen, it was a teenager and still involved in the program and the difference that it makes. You do make a difference in the lives of the child. Now, again, you can hold on to those. Now, here's what I ask you to do. If you took one or you can see me and you can get one at the table, if you like, I'd like one more, you know, the, from this country or the age of my child or certain, you, we can work that out. You can uh, exchange that back there uh, with me. What I do ask is don't take these profiles home with you unless you give me that sponsorship form because the child that you're holding, that picture, doesn't have a sponsor right now. And if you take them and you don't fill out that form, essentially you've kidnapped one of my kids. So um, that won't get, won't get sponsored. So if you took one, you're look, looking at it, you can also you can take it back and put it back on the table if, uh, if it's something you're saying, not right now. If it's something you want to pray about, you can leave it uh, on the table. You can actually, there's a great way to contact us, uh, onechildmatters.org, and you can sign up on, for sponsorship that way if at some point later. But one of the things that you guys are talking about are these ghost stories. The way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And I guess the biggest question that I probably get, and maybe you heard from some of those on the street interviews, is there's a lot of different views of the Holy Spirit, so what's the big deal about the Holy Spirit? It's a little confusing. Um, I listened to Nathan's uh, sermon on who the Holy Spirit is, and you were right, Steve, you gave him the hardest one. To try to explain what do we mean that there's this trinity, this three-in-one God. You know, there are other religions that look to Christianity and say, do you worship three gods? No, it's not three gods. It's one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's that mystery of this trinity, the three-in-one, the triune Godhead. And tried to explain that, but to understand the Holy Spirit, this is the way that I look at the Holy Spirit. It's really simple. It's what I'll begin with. It's what I'll end with. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. It's God's empowering presence in us. It's God's work through us. It's kind of the before, during, after. It's the before we knew the Lord, it was God's gift to us. His Spirit hovering over the waters. 
in creation, creating the world so that we could look and we can acknowledge that there has to be a creator. It's God's work in us, convicting us and drawing us to him. It's God's gift to us. It's God's empowering presence in us. His saving power. When we come to recognize Jesus Christ, God's Son, as our Lord and Savior, it's His Holy Spirit that creates within us a clean heart, forgives us of our sins, makes us move from an old creation to a new, to a totally new person, restores our relationship, a right relationship with God. It's God's empowering presence in us. But it doesn't stop there because it's God's work through us. That's what I get to talk about today is God's work through us. Now, I heard Steve's message and he talked about the good old days in the Pentecostal movement in the 1990s. I go back a little further than that. As a matter of fact, my history and my heritage goes way back. Um, take a look at this picture. Um, that's my grandparents, my grandpa and grandma, who were old Pentecostal evangelists. My grandfather was saved in 1919. He was an Italian immigrant who came to the United States as a young boy. Um, he joined the army during World War I. There was a flu epidemic going through his camp, and he prayed to God because this, back then flu epidemics caused death. And back then he kind of prayed out to God as a good Italian Catholic boy, God, if you save me, I will give you my life. And he didn't get sick. The war ended. He goes out and he gets married. During the, his marriage, the uh, you know, first few months of his marriage, his wife becomes sick. She, she uh, contracts leukemia. She has, gets leukemia. And they moved to an area called Tupper, Tupper Lake, uh, New York, that was known for its uh, hot springs and kind of, kind of healing types of things. And they went there, and they were poor enough where they had to live with, and they rented a room from a Methodist minister who gave them a book by a, an evangelist called Maria Woodworth Etter. Next picture. This is Maria Woodworth Etter. That's the book that uh, he gave her. I actually have that book, the original he gave him that book, and he begins to read this book by this evangelist from the late 1800s and now into the early 1900s, who was really known, traveled around the country, had this gigantic tent. Here's a few pictures of Maria Woodworth Etter in the 1800s, early 1900s. That's her tent. That's in Des Moines, Iowa. I think it's about 1910. Um, next picture is inside the tent, I do believe, or towards it. There's, you know, she would hold, set up a tent, go into a community, set up these tents. This was kind of the entertainment. There was no television. There was no movie theaters. There, this, is, they, this was the entertainment. When they, you'd set up a tent, is either a circus or a healing evangelist. And so people would come, and Maria Woodworth Etter in the 1800s would hold these revivals and in the early 1900s um, would hold these revivals and people would come and they would be healed. People who couldn't walk would walk. Blind would, be see, would see. And there were these gifts that were happening within the people that were gathered. People began to speak in unknown tongues. Some people understood that knew a language. Others, it was more of a heavenly language, and people would interpret and hear what they, they would say. People would prophesy, and there's all kinds of miracles that were happening in these tents, and these tent uh, evangelists. As a matter of fact, Maria Woodworth Etter had one of the largest tents, next picture, in the world. 
by the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, she was known to have the largest tent that sat 10,000 people within it. And normally she would do it and she'd be able to go in and preach and speak without any microphone, without any sound. You know, we're in a fairly small room compared to a 10,000 seat tent. And she would hold these tent revivals. And all these miracles would take place. And she was actually, these things were happening before the Pentecostal movement began in, in the early 1900s. Well, my grandfather read this book, Signs and Wonders, which is essentially her autobiography telling about all these things that happened in her tent revivals. And now she's, by this time, she's older. She's not traveling around setting up her large tent anymore. And she settled down in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she builds this church. Next picture. Next picture. We, there are more tents. We, we, we got more tents. Keep going forward. That's the inside of the 10,000 seat tent. Next. That church right there. Church on Miller Street on the west side of Indianapolis. And my grandfather decides he's going to travel from New York to Indianapolis to meet her and have her pray for his wife. And so he goes, but being the good Italian boy that he is, he doesn't go inside. Good Catholic boys don't go inside places like this. And so what my grandfather does is he sits outside and sends his wife inside. And he sits outside for up to two weeks, listening to the sermons and everything that's going on. This place is packed. But my grandfather sitting outside hearing the message, realizing that what he knew as religion wasn't really a relationship with the Lord or the work of the Holy Spirit within him. And so he ventures inside the doors, hears a message, responds. Not only is he saved and gives his heart to the Lord, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he's called into ministry all in one fell swoop. Now at that point, his wife wasn't healed for whatever reason. They move back to New York. She passes away. When she passes away, he remembers his call, and he moves back to Indianapolis, Indiana, to serve as Maria Woodworth Edder's assistant associate. While he's there, he meets my grandmother, who is also there serving and uh, helping. They fall in love. They get married. And lo and behold, Maria Woodworth Edder, towards the end of her life, sends my grandparents out with her tent. It says, you go and do what I did. And so my grandparents begin to travel around and begin to hold tent revivals. And they go into the cities, and they talk about this is the way they did church planting. They would set up a tent, draw a crowd. My grandfather would preach. My grandmother was, would preach. I actually remember my grandmother preaching. She was a better preacher than my grandfather. And she could bring fire. Right? That's, that's all, all I can say. And so she would preach, or they, he would preach. And um, matter of fact, my grandmother would play the piano and the banjo. You saw, saw the picture. Um, and it, she never had a lesson in her life. She just said the Lord gave her this gift to be able to sing and to play. And she, she would do that. And they traveled around, and they would hold the tent revival gather a crowd, get people saved, and then they would have somebody in the congregation or somebody in the community who would be the pastor, and then they'd say, here's your pastor, here's your church. They would take the tent, and they'd move and go to the next city and do the same thing all over, leaving a church behind them. And they would do that, and they started over 300 churches in the Midwest doing that within their life. By 1933, Maria Woodworth Edder had passed away, um, the, uh, one of her associates who had taken over the church had taken this church down from the crowd that you see down to 12 people. 
Now, those 12 people also included, this is my, my father remembers the first service. By this time, there were five of them. So the 12 people included the five of them that had shown up and my great aunt and her husband. So seven of the 12 that were left were now, now family. And my, my grandparents, they said, we're, we're called to stay here and pastor this church. So in 1933, my, my grandparents began to pastor uh, the church. So the next slide is my uh, uh, grandparents as they passed the church. In 1956, the next one, they have their young son and his wife. This is my dad and my mom. Come and join them as associate pastors. In 1967, they become the lead pastors of that church. Up until 1994, when my father, my mother and father, retired from, from ministry. So from 1933 to 1994, either my grandparents or, or my parents had pastored the home church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, it's still going strong. Um, the church name now is Lakeview Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, um, while my father was uh, pastoring it, it was one of the leading churches in missions giving. It was one of the first churches to give over a million dollars a year in missions giving. Um, but all because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, as we think about the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church, bringing up my notes here, we, ask, we still need to ask, so what? What does all that have to do with the work of a, of a spirit-filled life? And I want to draw you to uh, one particular point of Scripture, and that is Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to the church, talks about a difference between the Spirit... You've heard the pneuma, the breath, the wind, the life of the Spirit versus the desires of the flesh, the sarks, that's the Greek word, the, the meat that's on the bones, the natural, the things that we see versus the things that we don't see. And he's saying, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in this verse, what I will leave you with is this is the secret to living by the Spirit. Because what it is, it tells us the so what of the Holy Spirit. Here it is, Halloween. Tomorrow night we're going to have all these um, zombies and superheroes and princesses showing up at our doors looking for treats. I don't know why we still do trick or treat because, you know, we, we don't really want to emphasize the trick part. Um, and we're going to have them show up. And I always kind of like the, 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 the little kids that are dressed up as superheroes. And now, you know, they kind of have the padding that uh, have the muscles and everything. So you see this, you know, five-year-old kid show up, and he's got like a six-pack. And you're like, how in the world did that happen? But, you, you know, see, superheroes have always amazed me. I can remember dressing up as Superman and Batman and Captain America and, uh, and doing those over. Th and that's kind of our view as Christians. Sometimes what we think the role of the Holy Spirit in, is our, in our life is, is to make us superheroes. To give us power so that we could be super or astonishing or incredible. Depends on, you know, whatever uh, superhero you would like to be. But really, the gift of the Holy Spirit to us so that we could have God's empowering presence in us is so God can work through us. 
And that's the difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. Living in the flesh, I want to eat. I'm hungry. I want to feel good. I want pleasure. I want to do my own thing because I want to do it. And if the Holy Spirit, if God can help me get what I want, then I'm in. And we turn God into an idol. Because idolatry, at its very essence, is trying to manipulate the gods or a god to get what we want. Rain when we need it. Riches when we want it. An experience. We, and we turn God kind of into this, you know, vending machine. If I put my prayers in, if I do the right thing, and ching, 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 I can pull the lever and I can get what I want or what I need. That's not the reason for the Holy Spirit. That's not the way to live a Spirit-filled life. To really be, uh, to be blessed in this life, we have to be a blessing to others. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit so He can empower us so that He can work through us. And the difference between a Spirit-filled life and, that, uh, and one of gratifying the desires of the flesh is the difference between living a blessed life and living one that's totally of ourselves and will lead to disappointment. Galatians chapter 5 goes on, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now watch this list that goes up on the screen. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Some translations put murder in here. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. That's quite a list. But if you look at that list, those are all the list of going after things, flesh, things I want, things for my own good benefit, or at least what I think will be, and this is the list we end up with. And then the scripture goes on. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the secret of a Spirit-filled life. Pursuing God's power for power's sake is not what the Holy Spirit is about. But pursuing God's Spirit so that He can work in us. The spiritual gifts, we're supposed to seek them. We're supposed to eagerly desire them, uh, according to uh, the Apostle Paul. And if you look at them, all the spiritual gifts are not so that we can be superheroes. I can prophesy. I can work miracles. I can heal. I can... It's not for us. It's so I can encourage somebody else. I can build up somebody else. It's so God can work through me. And if you want to live a Spirit-filled life, a blessed life, we will learn to allow the Spirit to work in us and through us. There's a long list of spiritual gifts. I don't think any of them are complete or meant to be complete. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't even think they're all contained in the New Testament. I think we can find some in the Old Testament. The very first people who were filled with the Holy Spirit 
are back in Exodus. They were the men that were gifted and filled with the Spirit so that they could build the furniture for the tabernacle, so that they could be craftsmen and artisans. They were given the knowledge and the ability and the expertise by the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to glorify God through the work of their hands. Then you have the list in the, in the New Testament where we can speak words of knowledge and words of wisdom. We can pray prayers for healing. We can pray prayers for miracles in people's lives. We can show hospitality. We can give of our resources. We can give of our talents, our ability to administer or to lead. We can do those things. Why? So that God can be glorified and He could use us to spread His name and His glory throughout the earth. And when you look at it, that was the reason the Holy Spirit was given to us to glorify God and to make his glory known so the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us his empowering presence in us so that he can work through us when I just this last year, going through this time of transition from one job to another. I was talking on the phone to a mentor of mine, to somebody who wanted to get wise counsel. And as he's talking, he's telling me, he goes, Tracy, you know, a year from now, you can be anywhere in the world doing anything you want to do. You've got the experience You've got the network. You've got the relationships. You, 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 and it's a, you've got the title. You've got, you've got doctor in front of your name. You can do anything you want. What you really have to ask is what does God want you to do? Through the power of his Holy Spirit, allow the wind to push you. And then he told me this story. He goes, you know, there's a lot of times in Scripture we read about storms and we just kind of read through them. He goes, but did you ever think of it this way? The Holy Spirit, which again, that Greek, or the Hebrew word ruach means breath, wind. Pneuma, the Greek word in the New Testament, pneuma. Wind. Have you ever thought about seeing these storms as the wind of the Spirit moving people? Sometimes he moves people um, because they are disobedient. Jonah disobedient, didn't want to listen to the Lord. What happens? A storm, a wind rises up. Why? To get Jonah's attention and get him where he needed to be. Other times, it's you're being obedient, you just don't know what's going on. What about the disciples? Jesus said, get in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. They get in the boat. They head out the other side. The wind comes up. Why? Because God wanted to teach them a lesson about faith and about putting their trust in Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's like the Apostle Paul who is now in chains and he's on his way to Rome. But God had something that he wanted him to do. So we find in Acts chapter 27 and chapter 28, we find a storm coming up and Paul being shipwrecked on the island of Malta so he could minister to the people there. Totally unexpected. God used the storm to get Paul where he needed to be. And what I'd ask you is where's the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing you today? And how can he work through you? Because he didn't give us his Holy Spirit so we would be superheroes. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that God could be glorified and his glory known 
to those that we come in contact with every day. That's why I get to do what I get to do. Because I had to ask God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? What do you want to do through me? I could kick back, put my feet up, and kind of coast. But what is it that you want to do, and I want to do something significant? And I can tell you this last week when I was in Honduras and I was looking in the eyes of the children that were there, we would walk into these projects and we would have 25, 30, 50, sometimes 100 of these kids running up and they, every single one of, one of them wanted to hug us. We would sit there for 15 minutes, bent over, hugging. hugging and the, one of the project directors looked and said, you know what, that's the only hug they're going to get this week. And they're starving for it. And I realized going, it might be one child. It might be in a place in this world nobody's ever heard of. But making a difference in that person's life, that child's life, is what God's Spirit has blown, His wind has blown in my life for me to be able to do. And my question is this. Where is God's Spirit? Where is the wind of His Spirit, His breath, blowing in your life? And how can He use you to make a difference, to make God's glory known to those you meet. Let's stand. Worship team, if you would come. And before I turn it back over to Pastor Steve, and I'll be out in the lobby, so if you have any questions about One Child Matters or want to talk about the children or I'd love to be able to talk to you about it, want more information, we've got it back there too. But what I want to leave you with is that question, where is the Holy Spirit, where is the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in your life? Because that's the so what. It's not to be superheroes. But we can be heroes because we make God's glory known in one life. What one life can you make a difference in this week? Because you allow the Spirit to speak to you. You allowed His glory to be used and to work in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray for each of us here today and that we would be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit. We'd be sensitive to the way that the wind is blowing us and the direction and those that you put into our lives that we can do something. And maybe even you want to use us in ways that go beyond our expectations. You want to allow the gifts of your spirit to flow in us and through us. And we might be offering a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Praying a prayer of faith, a prayer of healing, a prayer for a miracle. Maybe we give the gifts that you've given us and you empower them by the word and the word of your spirit. And it makes a difference in somebody's lives. Lord, I pray that each of us, our prayer this morning as we leave here is, Lord, blow us where you will. Not where I will, not where I want, but blow us where you want us to go. And help us make a difference by making your glory known. We thank you for that, in Jesus' name.
Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.